Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osband, here with my friend and club, Ruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masechet Nedarim, daf Mem Zion, page 47. Well, we're still in the middle of uh, our discussion of our previous Mishnah, um, and um, this has to do with, um, uh, well, here, this daf is going to start with a uh, part of the Mishnah that talks about how Omer Lachavero, right? If somebody basically says a Konam, of entering your house or purchasing your field, and then let's say the owner dies or sells it to somebody else, the the person who took that neder is actually then allowed to enter the house or purchase the field because it had to do with not getting benefit from the the person who at the time owned the house or field. But if the person says, you know, makes a konam of entering this house or this field, right, then the owner even if the owner dies or sells it to somebody else, the bower is still not allowed to enter that field or house because the nether was over a particular house or a particular field. So the Gemara wants to understand this a little better and says, by Avimi, right? So Avimi asks the following question, Konam If somebody says Konam entering, your, entering this house, right? So, what he is doing is he's telling the other person that he can't enter this house, which he owns. So in other words, Reuven owns a house and he says, you know, Shimon, you're not allowed to enter this house. And then he dies or sells it to another, right? Reuven dies or sells it, okay? Mahu, what's the law? Because he said this house and not my house, right? It may be that this shows that he implied that this, you know, the 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 prohibition to not get benefit uh, should remain even when that house is no longer in his possession. But Adamo But the real existential question here is: Can a person prohibit something that is in his possession for even when it leaves his possession or not? So how do they resolve this? I'm a rabbi. Rabbi says Toshma, and so he's going to quote. Um, uh, a Mishnah that appears in Bavakama, right? That says, Somebody says to his son, son, right? A Konam that you won't benefit from me, umate, and then he dies. Your Shanu, the son actually is allowed to inherit from him and can get benefit from that inherited property. The Chayabu Bimoto. But if he says specifically that his property is prohibited to him in his lifetime and after his death, umate, Lo Yershenu, right? Then his son cannot uh, cannot inherit. Amina, learn from this. So we see from this that you actually can prohibit something uh, that even after it leaves your pos- p- possession. And so the Gemara concludes in this Shmamina. So it's interesting to see that, you know, a person basically can make a neder prohibiting somebody from something that initially is his, and even if it ends up never being his again, right? He somehow sells it, he dies, it goes to inheritance. It's always prohibited to that person. I I actually think that's like an amazing halacha, right? Like, how is it that you have control over that item, even if that item is no longer yours? I don't know. Something about this halacha doesn't sit well with me. Um, That's interesting. I'm gonna, I don't think I have an opinion yet. Let's yeah, let's hold like it in a band. Like, where a person can be 
even when it's not your property anymore. But that's been the case. Like, that's the issue with all of these shvuot about another person about the property, right? Like, Right, you're controlling something about that person. But at least if it's your property, it's, like, somewhat justifiable. I don't know. I mean, right. It might be rude, but, yeah, I hear you. I hear the question. Again, we, we keep coming back to this point of, like, why were people prohibiting other people from benefit from any of the above like what are the circumstances that lead someone to do this yeah i i I don't think we have a good sense all right onwards okay so um again i want to i we're here we're talking about konam we're using this language here because the gemara uses the language here konam right means that when somebody i mean usually i think it's actually you put something off limits, it's often going to be somebody making something konam for themselves, right? Because we have here, Tanan Hatam, konam peirot ha'elu alai, konam hain alpi, konam hain lefi, meaning the, all of these vo- these wordings are saying that somebody says this produce is, again, konam, is off limits for me, or it can't be in my mouth, or it is it is a konam for my mouth, right? And then the commenters explain that this means that the produce itself goes beyond, let's say, the actual produce, but to maybe any residue from the produce or any juice that might have come from that kind of produce. Asur hen, right? That even in the, if you could trade it or if you could exchange it for something else, it, it doesn't matter. Any All of that is going to be um, prohibited from that person from getting benefit you know, even if it comes to be replanted, right? And you might you might want to make a case that once it's replanted, it's a completely different thing. And the answer seems to be that no, once you've made that konam by decreeing it off limits for yourself, uh, it's it retains that status. What happens next here is several different attempts to kind of address this. Be, um, no, let me say better. What happens after this statement about the konam is that Rami Barhama raises a question. And the commentary say, like, why is this here? It really belongs like 10 pages later. And the answer is that it's because we're talking about these konamot. So then it ends up being here like the, you know, there's there's the kind of like the external reasons to put the Gemara together in a certain way. And then there's the content reasons to put in together in a certain way. So as far as content goes, maybe it really should be 10 pages later. But on the other hand, it's the same kind of question here about like how effective is a vow when that forbidden item changes hands and so that's what we're talking about so then Rabbi Barhama's dilemma shows up here right by Rami Barhama Amar Konam Perota Elo Alploni Mahu Bachilofehan what happens if you would then switch them? What does it mean switch them? Switch the ownership, right? Or there's gonna be some kind of replacement for this item that has been declared off limits. Mi Amrinan Gabe delay do we say that when a person kind of like says your fruits, your produce is all off limits for me, but the thing is those things are not, this year Dana speaks to your question, right? They're not in his possession at this time. They, they're in the other person's possession. So maybe we can say that that's like a it's something that is not in existence in this world, at least with regard to this person. Meaning, usually we say something is not in the in the world. Like you talk about, 
um, you know, an egg from the chicken the day after, right? You want to swear off the egg from the chicken tomorrow. It's not yet in this world. It doesn't exist yet. But in this case, it's a little bit like it's a little bit fancy footwork to say it's not in the world with regard to the person who is swearing off benefit. And that kind of makes sense because it's not in his possession to say, I'm not going to get benefit from it. Um, and then perhaps what we need to say is that if we're talking about, we're talking about another person, right? So the same way that a person cannot prohibit a different person's produce from yet a third person, you know, making it forbidden for that person to get benefit. So then maybe also we're going to say you cannot, um, treat uh something you can't treat something that's not coming to the world prohibited to another person because i i guess really because it's kind of nonsensical and then the point then is that those anything that would replace that prohibited item would then actually be permitted to this person who is for whom the original item is prohibited and then so that's one way of thinking about it and then the gemara goes on at the top of amabet odilma or are we going to think about it in a different way? We say that the same thing is that the replacements of the produce, it's like, it's as if they're growing from them. In which case we can maybe say it's as if saying the the replacements are derived from the original, in which case maybe there's no difference whether it's him or it's his friend and neither of them can get any benefit from the chilufin. So the... Rami Barkham is raising a dilemma that is that the Gemara then presents like right, both sides as, you know, reasonable ways of thinking about it. I think each of them is, you know, considered reasonable. And then the Gemara is going to go to try to figure out, you know, what's the answer, except for that it's it comes to talk about the answer by bringing in new other cases, which we're not actually going to talk about right now, but they are worth reading because it ends up like, again, like, what happens about uh, if a man wants to marry a woman and or betrothes a woman rather, right, with an item that is prohibited? Like, does that work? Does that not work? What if it's right? If it doesn't exist yet, you know how how does this work? Um, there's a whole bunch of different cases here. Again, trying to resolve this question of Rami Barhama. I, I want to say that the Gemara does not seem to me, at least not offhand, to really to conclude it. You can use your thumbs and try to. Try to answer it, but it's a little bit tricky. The Duff ends with the Mishnah, which we're actually going to tackle tomorrow in the context of the Gemara that comes on tomorrow's Duff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know, it, this Duff felt very granular in a certain way, right? Like, it's really getting into, like, some nitty-gritty around language itself. But we've seen that consistently this entire Masachet. But I agree with you that it seems here, like, I, I felt this time that there was, like, a bigger conversation, and we know that, we know that there's a bigger conversation going on, but it just felt like this was like in the middle of the bigger conversation, except for we learned yesterday's daf, and we know what's coming on tomorrow's daf, and yet this didn't quite sit exactly yeah. where it seems like it should, um, which maybe is the point of the commentaries that say that Rami Barkhaman's discussion really should be, you know, later in the Masachet, and, you know, I think that maybe the the parts that you read are not as fully developed as we might like them to be. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rankus reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website.
Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.